freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Salk. We have it. We have the real answer, or what we believe is... Now the real answer to why the Seahawks are unveiling their throwback uniforms at 8.32 tomorrow. And thank you to another 206 who texted in. Uh, it's Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson with you here for Brock and Salk today. 206 texts in. 8.32 is the time the kingdom was demolished. That makes a lot more sense. And yes, at 8.32 a.m. on March 26, 2000, the kingdom imploded. And That's, that makes a lot more sense than yeah. 832 steps up to the Space Needle. But heck of a pull by that other person because it uh, coincidentally seemed to work. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they were sort of on the right track with the a, right track. some some tie into a Seattle landmark. But yeah, 832 is the implosion time of the kingdom. That does make a lot more sense. These were the jerseys uh, the Seahawks were wearing during their kingdom days. I think they've, they've referred to them as their kingdom era, or maybe they haven't, but... Uh, that's sort of what you think of. You associate these jerseys with the kingdom. And so, um, yeah, it's perfect, perfect time to do it. And uh, what are we? We're, we're like 99.9% sure that that's got to be. That's got to be why. Harkening back to that era when you're right, those jerseys were the ones you associate with that building. And it makes sense based on the video, the little teaser that the Seahawks released yesterday on all their social media yeah. platforms where they had that very nostalgic pulling all the the trinkets and you know banners and pennants and posters and things like that so that's uh that's the reason nice job to us nice job to we, we think we're pretty sure this is why we rely on the texters in the mac and jacks text line 866-979-3776 the trivia and the tidbits that they know just fantastic insight yeah. there i would have just fully run with the the space needle theory like yeah 832 832 steps Something there, kept digging through the conspiracy, but this is an easy solution, kind of the Occam's razor of, all right, well, yeah, it's the simplest explanation. So simplest explanation is usually the right uh, one. We'll go with yeah. that one. Uh, okay, Brady, we were talking about the secondary because we were kind of surprised, and you mentioned that you thought Quandre Diggs could have been a strong candidate to make ESPN's kind of comprehensive list of a top 10 at every position. He did not, but you wrote an article for ESPN.com about this secondary being the strength of defense and how it could get better this season. So when you take a look at the secondary, there's all this hype and there are so many talented pieces there. Can it make up for maybe some of the question marks in the front, you know, on the, in the interior and on the first two levels of this defense, can a strong secondary help overcome some question marks up there? Yeah, I I think it always can just because of how closely those two position groups are tied together. I mean, certainly like coverage, you know, you hear, you know, Defensive coaches talk about this all the time, like rush and coverage work together because, you know, if the pass rush is is really humming and they're, they're pressuring quarterbacks, then that takes that makes life easier on the, the cornerbacks because they don't have to cover as long. And conversely, with if the cornerbacks are really covering tightly, then that gives the pass rushers more time to get home. And so, yeah, there's there's just generally a relationship between those two. And I do think that the back end could kind of make up for some of the deficiencies, whatever deficiencies they still might have up front. I, I think they're going to be better, a lot better than they were uh, last year, just because they've got more top-end talent. I mean, Draymond Jones, I know he didn't land in the top 10, but he has statistically been one of the more disruptive interior defenders 
um, in the NFL. When you look at you know his sacks, pressure rate, uh, tackles for loss, all that. Like he is a young, ascending, really talented, good player. Just the the type of talent that they did not have last season. So I think they're they're going to be more talented. And I, I think part of what happened last year was up front was they just didn't have some of the right scheme fits. Remember they were transitioning to a three four. Um, and just didn't, I don't think they had the right body types, the right types of players for that. So they should be better up front this year. And going back to the secondary, I think that secondary could take some pressure off of them. When you look at how loaded that group is, I think it's the most, it's the most talented, not only the most talented, but the deepest secondary that they've had since the Legion of Boom days. When you look at the depth and just the the star power there, I know Quandre Diggs didn't make it in the top 10, neither did Trick Woolen, but both those guys are Pro Bowl players. Um, and then, and then you know, the huge wild card here is what are they going to get from Jamal Adams? When are they going to get exactly it from Jamal Adams? exactly what I was going to get to. Yeah. So, okay. Glad you brought that up, and I was about to jump in when you mentioned all this depth. I was going to say, are you including Jamal Adams? Because just mentioning his name becomes such a lightning rod for strong opinions one way or the other. What are your expectations for Jamal Adams? Yeah, I, I don't know when he's going to be back. And and I think it's entirely possible that he has to start the season on the physically unable to perform list. That's uh that would mean missing the first four games. Maybe he doesn't, but you know, the fact is you know, he we did not see him take part in any of the off-season practices. Uh still recovering from that torn quad tendon from week 1 that required season-ending surgery and so um, anytime a guy doesn't participate in the spring, you just got to wonder about what their status is for week one. Whenever he does come back, whether it's week one or week three or week six after the bye, my expectation is that you're going to see him play a lot more linebacker uh, in passing situations. And that was actually the plan last year. Uh, and if you go back and watch the play where he got hurt, and I think the first half of that game against Denver, he was blitzing and he was basically playing linebacker right next to Jordan Brooks. Uh, on that play with three safeties behind him. So um, you're going to see him on passing downs play more linebacker, which the idea there is that you accentuate his strength, which is blitzing, and you minimize his deficiency, which is being in coverage. Um, And, you know, let's sort of go back in time here and kind of remember how his Seahawks career has gone. So he's acquired in the trade 2020, uh, for the two first-round picks and then some, has a great season in, in 2020. And, and as bad as it's gotten, like it's easy to forget that he was a Pro Bowl player in 2020, set a, a single-season NFL record for sacks from a defensive back with nine and a half. He was great. And then in 2021, goes he only plays in 12 games, missed the final you know month or so of the season with the torn shoulder labrum, uh, and he didn't have a sack that whole year. And I really think that that was not so much like on Adams as it was the fact that offenses started adjusting to him in terms of his blitzing. And the Seahawks just didn't do a good enough job of of, of adjusting back, right, and putting him and sort of outthinking offenses and putting him in advantageous blitzing situations. I mean, like, what, did the guy just forget how to blitz, like, in one offseason? That's what Wyman says. Yeah, Yeah. he's like, he didn't forget how to become a good player. Yeah, I think that was more about the fact that NFL teams adjusted to him better than the Seahawks adjusted back. And so that adjustment going into last season was going to be that you play him closer to the line of scrimmage, you get him moving around more pre-snap, so it makes it harder for offenses, offensive lines to really hone in on him and set their protections to 
you know, account for him. You know, it's hard to do when when he's you know starting in the traditional safety position and he's moving up into the A gap and then he's bouncing around and he's going across. Like it's hard for teams to to really know where he's going to be. And so I think the plan was, and I think the plan still will be, to kind of move him around more. And you see that a lot with. Uh, sort of the Vic Fangio style defenses where you've got a lot of late movement that really just, again, it it, it makes it easier to disguise uh, what those players are doing. Now, the, the downside of it is you might move too late and the ball might be snapped a little bit, you know, sooner than you think. And all of a sudden you're not where you're supposed to be at the start of the play. So there is downside to it. And there's probably a reason why you don't see teams do it all the time. Uh, but I, you are going to see more of that this year. You're going to see him play more linebacker. You're going to see him kind of bouncing around uh, before just to, to try to maintain that element of surprise. And the question is, uh, I, mean, I think he's going to be an effective player. Uh, even, you know, maybe he doesn't have nine and a half sacks, but you're going to see him, I think, be closer to his 2020 version than his 2021 version. The, the question is, can he stay healthy? And, and the, the weird thing about his injuries is, and he was pretty healthy for his first three seasons in New York. I think in the three seasons, he only missed one or two games. Uh, and then in the three seasons with Seattle, he's missed roughly half the games, including you know pretty much all of last season with that major torn quad tendon injury. It was like the Rashad Penny conundrum. I mean, the man yeah. was never hurt, and then he gets drafted, and every year, sadly, he dealt with something. So it was just, yeah, you just, you just don't know now. Um I don't know if we have time for for a full breakdown of this, but real quick, do you think Trey Brown has a role in this DB group? Yeah, I just don't know what it is mm-hmm. because again, if 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 Witherspoon ends up being sort of the starter on the outside and the nickel, I think you know the question is okay, who's the third cornerback? And 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 I'm sure that they would still let him compete for that job, and maybe he has a really strong summer uh, the same way that. Mike Jackson had a really strong spring, and maybe he makes a, a strong push for that third cornerback spot. Uh, but it, right now, it's just hard to imagine. It, as well as Mike Jackson played in this, and really, he he had a strong rookie season. Like the Seahawks, they didn't draft Devin Witherspoon because they felt like they needed to upgrade from Mike Jackson. I think they drafted him because he's the best cornerback in the draft, and that's a premium position. And you know, it was, a, you know, you just can't pass up on that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to what else was available when uh, when it was time for them to pick that was not about Mike Jackson is my point it was Mike Jackson's a you know good player and still a young guy who is you know probably still ascending and so um yeah Trey Brown it, it just speaks to like the depth that they have there at at cornerback specifically secondary in general that remember Trey Brown was pretty good a couple years ago as a rookie before he got hurt all right, well, we're going to get more insight on the Seahawks team from, from Brucky. Oh, see, there it is. Can't there speak it is there. Again. There it is again. It happens. It's the morning. We're going to get more insight from Bucky Brooks at 830. He works for NFL Network and NFL.com, but it's uh, everything you need to know next. It is Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson here on the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, the Mariners beat the Twins 7-6. They grabbed the lead in a four-run fifth and then held on after it got interesting in the ninth, but they took the opening game of the four-game series against the Twins. You've got to get them thinking the right things because if you don't, it isn't going to flip. We were able to flip the game tonight. There have been many games this year that we haven't been able to flip. We did it tonight because we finally committed to, you know what, we're going to stay inside the ball here and try to hit some balls the other way. Kelnick's single was beautiful. It doesn't have to be hit hard. 
you just got to stay on it and he did a great job with it so um nice for us to get the results again minnesota's got a really good team they can really pitch it's not going to be easy throughout the series you got to take advantage when you're putting an inning together and, and we were able to do it tonight i think we scored six runs with two outs tonight that's what it takes against good pitching staff a go-ahead two-run single from Jared Kelnick extended his hit streak to five games while Eugenio Suarez went two for four to snap his five-game hitless streak. Game two of that series tonight at 640. You can hear pregame coverage beginning at 530. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, Brady, we think we have an answer about why the Seahawks are releasing their throwback uniforms at 832 tomorrow morning. It's because that's when the Kingdome was imploded, giving way to uh, the new era of Seahawks football and those Kingdom era uniforms. They're bringing them back, so we will see those tomorrow in 8.32 unveiling. Uh, it's an exciting time for the uni enthusiast uh, around the league. It is, and it's a long time coming. I, I know I've been getting questions from Seahawks fans for years about when are they going to bring back the throwback uniforms. The issue here, I'll try to explain this quickly, is uh, the NFL has recently done away with what it would call the one helmet rule. So it used to be that teams could only wear one set of helmets. Um, and so that wasn't an issue for some teams whose uh, you know current jerseys and their throwback jerseys had the same base color of the helmet because they could just swap out the decals. It was an issue for teams like the Seahawks whose you know helmets were different colors. Remember, the throwback helmets were silver, the new helmets are blue, so you can't change the base color on the helmet. So the only workaround would have been wearing mismatched helmets, the new helmets with the old jerseys, which would have just looked crazy foolish. And so uh, that's why teams like the Seahawks had to wait until the NFL did away with the one-helmet rule. That rule's gone. That opened the door for the throwbacks that we are going to see tomorrow. The uh, affectionately named Bucks uniforms, too. The uh, the creamsicle, creamsicle unis. Yep. You couldn't exactly do a, a creamsicle uni when you had a pewter helmet. So uh, yeah. I- I'm glad they got rid of that rule. It was, what, for safety reasons? I mean, I think that was the, that was yeah, the reason. I, I was, I was yeah. digging into why because it didn't seem to make sense either. I think the NFL thought they wanted a, a worn-in helmet. It would have been safer than just a brand-new helmet for a one kind of one-off situation. So we were looking into it as well because I know the Seahawks announced that they're going to wear them for the Browns game. And then they haven't announced any more dates, but the NFL ruling is that, what, you can wear them up to three times, the alternate helmets and alternate uniforms? Yeah, I believe so that's what I... Yeah, three think, games this year, potentially, for the Seahawks. Yeah, I think that's what I read on Pro Football Talk just a few minutes ago. Um, and as you said, what, what other game would make sense for them to wear? Oh, yeah. And boy, that Thursday Thanksgiving home game against the 49ers, national TV. I mean, how cool would that be to wear the throwbacks that game? I know they haven't announced it, but uh, I would be very surprised if they didn't. It just seems like too good of a fit. So uh, I I hope we see them up to three times this year. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, also in the NFL, the deadline to sign franchise tag players to a long-term deal came and went yesterday with three big running backs not getting commitments from their current teams. Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, and Tony Pollard. And then prominent NFL running backs are weighing in around the league. Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Austin Eckler got mad at your guy, Matt Miller, because Matt Miller was kind of stating the reason why teams have not invested or are not paying running backs anymore but it's a tough situation for these guys it just seems like there's no real option for the continued devaluation of this position yeah and and teams are you know wary of giving the guaranteed money to players at a position that you know statistically has shown that the decline happens a lot earlier than other spots and you know so the three guys the three franchise tag running backs who did not get deals really the one 
where sort of details of negotiations have emerged is Saquon Barkley. And there was a report from a reporter named Ryan Dunleavy uh, that said the Giants weren't even offering him $20 million guaranteed. And, you know, the, the way the franchise tag negotiations work is usually you take the average of what two franchise tags would cost. Um, and then that or the, sort of the, the total of those two franchise tags. Uh, and that becomes the starting point in terms of guaranteed money for Saquon Barkley. That number would, I think, be like twenty two point five million dollars. And reportedly, the Giants aren't even offering him twenty million dollars guaranteed. And so for him, for his perspective, that's a non-starter in terms of getting a deal done. Yeah, tough situation. We'll get more insight on it from uh, from Bucky Brooks. He joins us coming up at eight thirty. One more thing you need to know, though, Shohei Otani just continues to do amazing things. Hit his MLB leading 35th home run of the season. It tied the game against the Yankees in the 7th. The Angels then uh, walked it off in the 10th. And the Rangers also had a comeback walk-off win as well. They won on a wild pitch. They scored to beat the Rays in the ninth. They won 3-2 to two in that one. So some uh, teams around the division for the Mariners continue to win. But yeah, Bucky Brooks will join us to give his thoughts uh, on the Seahawks. He's also high on one position that uh, you feel strongly about for the Seahawks, so we'll ask him all that and his perception of uh, what this team has to do to maybe catch the 49ers. That uh, is coming up next. This is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson in with you today. Brock and Salk back tomorrow. But right now, joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, Bucky Brooks, who is, he's all over the place, NFL.com, NFL Network, and Fox Sports. And Bucky, we were just talking about how all of a sudden, this offseason, where you kind of have the six weeks off, and, well, rookies are reporting today. Does it feel like uh, you're ready to get back in the grind of the season? Oh, yeah, like it's, it's, it's on. Uh, it happens quickly after 4th of July. You kind of know that training camp is coming. And so I think for every coach, scout, executive, players, everyone knows that like it's time. It's time to get back to football. All right, Bucky. Well, we have kind of been talking about uh... – what the Seahawks have to do to close the gap on the 49ers. It's been the big story of the offseason because the 49ers, the top-end talent is there. The Seahawks as a team, they feel like they're balanced in a lot of positions. But what are your expectations for the Seahawks this season? Well, I mean, I think the team has made a concerted effort to up the ante on defense. And if you think about the issues that they had last year, they just didn't have enough star power on defense. So you see the moves they made up front. Um, you think about Jerry Reed, you think about uh, Draymond Jones and, and trying to recreate what they had years ago. And then Bobby Wagner coming back to kind of be the traffic cop in the middle. That helps them kind of dominate the running game, try and rush the pass and do some of the things that they want to do. But then in the secondary, Julian Love coming over, uh, what they've done with another year of experience with the young guys. Uh, I think they feel good about their ability to compete with the Niners because it's a robbery. I, I think they've really closed the gap. And now it's about how well they can they play consistently over the early stages of the regular season to give them a chance to make a, a run for it down the stretch. Bucky, this is Brady Henderson. I, I cover the Seahawks for ESPN.com, and I'm filling in today, and, and it's good to talk to you. And I, I want to first get your take on uh, Devin Witherspoon. That's the same position that you played in the NFL for a number of years. I'm wondering – what what you see from him, and what are realistic expectations for him as a rookie? I mean, realistic expectations, he's going to be a high-end starter. 
from the Seattle Seahawks from day one. When you watch them play at Illinois, uh, great IQ, like high football IQ, understands the game, very instinctive. The game is very natural and easy for him. Uh, when you think about his skill set, he's a guy who has a lot of different tools in the toolbox. He can play man, he can play zone, he can press, he can play off, he can bail. He can do a lot of different things. And so for Pete Carroll, what that does is that now gives him two corners that can do a lot of different things. And so whether they want to be man-heavy one week, whether they want to play for zone the next week, they may not have the capacity to do it because they have two corners. We have that, and that doesn't even include what Kobe Bryant also can do on the slot. Bucky, do you think this is enough to uh, help out maybe some question marks uh, up front? Because the issue with the Seahawks is still seem to be, okay, the defensive line, will they have made enough adjustments to make up for some run issues last year? What can a, a really strong secondary do to help that out? Well, I mean, the rush and the coverage work together. And so uh, the better the coverage, the more time that the rush will have to get to the quarterback. Now, today's game is hard because the ball, the ball comes out so fast that the pass rush is really neutralized by scheme and by veteran quarterbacks understanding where to go with the ball versus certain looks. And so if you can play tight coverage, sticky man-to-man, well, now you make them get to the second and third option. That allows the pass rush to have more time to disrupt the timing and rhythm of the quarterback. And so the better the coverage, the more pass rush opportunities you're going to get. And so uh, upgrading the, the back end, should have the front end have more opportunities done. Bucky, you've played in the NFL. You've scouted in the NFL. Now I'm going to ask you to put on your coaching hat uh, as it relates to Jamal Adams. And obviously he's had a, a pretty up-and-down tenure with the Seahawks. He was great uh, in 2020 with the nine-and-a-half sacks. Didn't have a single sack in 2021, and then obviously he got hurt last year. But you know, going back to that 2021 season, I have always said, and I just reiterated this point not long ago, that it's not like Jamal Adams forgot how to blitz in one offseason. I think that was more about the coaching staff not putting him in advantageous enough situations. And so my question to you is, if you are a coach, how do you, how would you get Jamal Adams back to that 2020 form where he had nine and a half sacks? Well, I think they've already started taking steps to make that happen, right? So Quadri Diggs played at a high level. Um, last season. He's played at a high level since he's come over to Seattle. So now you bring Julian Love over. And so now you have two safeties that can play in the deep uh, part of the field. So now you can drop Jamal Adams in the box and really use him almost like a nickel safety linebacker type. So he is at his best when he's near the line of scrimmage. Great instincts, great awareness, good tackler. We talked about the pass rush ability. Well, now you're putting him in a spot where he can do what he does really well. For the longest time I've said Jamal Adams' comparison is Troy Palomalo. If you go back to what Pete Carroll had at USC when he had Troy Palomalo, he used him to get a line of scrimmage, let him rush off the edge and do those things. Jamal Adams is at his best when he's played in a role like that. This year he will have an opportunity to play in a role like that, and I think you will see him play at a high level because going all the way back to how Greg Williams used him with the Jets, when he was near the line of scrimmage, that's when he made the magic happen. I think you see him kind of rekindle some of that magic this year. And what about the idea, just sticking with Adams and, and the, the sort of X's and O's stuff, what about the idea of moving him around more pre-snap? And I, I, I think it seems like you see it with you know safeties in that Vic Fangio-style defense where they're kind of bouncing around 
uh, pre-snap to try to maintain the element of surprise. Do you think that you're going to see the Seahawks do that with Adams, and what can that do for a defensive back? Well, I mean, look, I think for him, you're trying to create opportunities for him to make the most plays. He makes the most plays, uh, tackles with all sacks, disruptive plays at the point of attack. And so you want to move him around and let him use. He is a high football IQ guy. Knowing him since high school, watching him mature at LSU, he knows the game. And so you want to put him in a position where he can see ball and go get the ball. And moving him around is all a part of the window dressing. And then you just kind of tell him, like, hey, man, move where you want to move to. Just get to this spot by the time the ball is snapped. That makes it very difficult for the offense to account for him, to figure out how to move protection and the blocking scheme towards him. So the more freedom that you give him to kind of play loose and freestyle, the more impactful plays he's going to be able to deliver. Bucky Brooks, NFL Network and Fox Sports. He uh, does multiple things for them there, writes for NFL.com as well. And Bucky, you just came out with a really nice piece, uh, ranking top combos at each position group. Uh, you do have the Seahawks safeties ranked number one. Wanted to get into kind of another position group that is strong, potentially for the Seahawks as well. Didn't crack your top few there with the wide receivers. Where do you kind of judge the Seahawks wide receivers among the best in the NFL? Well, I mean, I think they have a chance to have a top-ten group. Uh, Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf are a problem. Both are big play specialists. They can kind of interchange who wants to be the vertical guy, who wants to be the intermediate guy. Like, we've seen them do that multiple times. But I think Jackson Smith and Jigbo gives them an opportunity to have three guys with number one potential on the field. And I can't say enough about how good, how polished he is. I think people need to go back and look. The season that he played with, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, he was the guy who had all the yards and all the targets. And so uh, we've seen the impact that Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave have made in the National Football League. I would think that if Jackson Smith and Jigba gets those kinds of targets, he also can make that kind of impact. And so when you have those three guys, DK, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you have the running game that they want to create with Kenneth Walker Jr. and Zach Charbonnet. Yeah, the Seattle Seahawks offense can be problematic because they seemingly have an answer for every defensive tactic, and that's exactly what you want to have your offense coordinator. We've gone uh, this far without asking you about the guy who's going to be leading that offense, Geno Smith. Bucky, I'm I'm curious what you think is more likely. Do you think it's more likely that Geno Smith has a season similar to the one he had last year, that he regresses, or that he gets better? Because I think you could make a case for all three. Yeah, no, you certainly can make a case for all three. Uh, the natural inclination is to think that maybe he comes back to the back a little bit. But I'll say this. Uh, Geno Smith's willingness to buy into all things Seattle has made it easier for the Seahawks to play the style that they want to play. Like some of the maybe pushback that they may have received from Russell Wilson might have hurt the Seahawks in terms of their ability to play the way that they played in the early 2010s where they were able to really use Marshawn Lynch to run a game in the defense as kind of the starting point, and then everything else in the passing game was a compliment. Well, Geno Smith is okay with that style, and what happened is people didn't respect the passing game, and he tore them up. And so now you'll see a bit of a market correction where they'll take uh, more time to pay attention to the passing game, maybe concede some rushing yards, and try and figure out if they can make it tough for Geno in the red zone. But as long as he stays true, to the philosophy and the way they play, hey, don't turn the ball over, get the ball to the playmakers, make the plays that are there, but don't force the issue. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks could be good and Geno Smith will play well because he is what I call a high-end game manager, 
he's not going to mess it up, but he also has the ability to make a handful of plays when they need him. Hey, Bucky, there's been a big individual talent drain out of the NFC over the last couple of seasons. And, of course, the huge move with Aaron Rodgers now going to the AFC. Outside of that very top tier of the 49ers and the Eagles, where would you put the Seahawks? Are they in maybe a next tier in terms of contending teams? Well, yeah, I think you can make the case that they're in their next three through seven. Um, And depending upon how the new moves play out, I mean, they could be at the very top of that tier. You know, the big thing is, uh, nothing is guaranteed enough to stay static. Like, we don't know if Philadelphia is going to be able to continue to play at the level that they played. It looks great on paper, but it's hard to can continue to play up to that standard year after year after year, particularly when the film comes out. So can Jalen Hurts play at that level? Um, can the 49ers maintain that level without having a legitimate answer at quarterback? Brock pretty played great, but can he maintain that level? So for me, now I think this is an opportunity for – uh, the Seahawks can really take advantage of the changing of the guard at the top. This is a chance for them to make their move, which is why I think you saw them be so aggressive when it came to free agency and really making personnel moves. You just touched on it there with the 49ers. Bucky, as you know, they played three times last season. The 49ers won those three games, and they weren't particularly close. So there was clearly a, a pretty big gap between them. I'm curious, how much do you think the Seahawks have closed that gap, and how much do you think – quarterback play you just mentioned Brock Purdy and and the questions about him with the elbow injury how much do you think that could be an equalizer even if the 49ers still have a superior roster well I mean it it has a chance to be a great equalizer because everyone's excited about Brock Purdy we've anointed him as like one of those guys but he only really played seven games and so now that the book is out on him how do people adjust to that and you know there's conversation about Sam Donald maybe being the most talented guy in the stable at quarterback, and so maybe you'll see him as you get on the field and play. That said, I think when you're dealing with the 49ers, man, it comes down to can you match their physicality and toughness over four quarters? And, you know, like I would, I've always believed that in the NFC West, those two teams have been the standard, the Hawks and the uh, 49ers, when it comes to playing rock and sock and robot type football. And so if you're Pete Carroll, everything has to be on the Niners because you have to beat them to win the division. That's the easiest path to the postseason. So they've closed the gap, but ultimately is how are they going to play against them when they get those opportunities? I'm excited to see it, but I think they feel good about their chances based on what I know about the Seahawks and how they view that rivalry. Hey, more of a general question here, Bucky. Uh, there was a lot of frustration playing out yesterday among running backs when uh, no long-term deals were signed for three key and very instrumental running backs for teams this season, but they were just now going to be on the franchise tag. How do you see this uh, this frustration playing out, and is there anything that can reverse the trend of the devaluation of running backs right now? No, nothing can reverse the trend right now because there's no uh, like mechanism in place to help those guys get what they deserve. But a lot of it is our fraud in the media because, like, what we have done is, like, we like to get cued and play, like, full general manager and talk about, like, oh, you know, like, they can just, like, ride into the wheels fall off and get another one. But I will say this, and this is not only from me playing, but from an executive, all running backs are not created equal. Like, you felt the impact that Marshawn Lynch had on that franchise, and it took a long time for the Seahawks to be able to have a running back that could give them that similar impact in terms of how the defense reacts. And so, yeah, you can get a guy that's a 1,000-yard back, but there's a difference between a guy that is a 1,000-yard back and a 1,500-yard back where you have to account for him. And so the reluctance and the hesitancy to pay uh, the running back 
will really expose some of the quarterbacks because the better the quarterback, the lesser the need to have a high-end running back. But some of these teams that are playing games with, like, mid-level quarterbacks that are just mediocre, yeah, when you remove that running back, it will expose them. So the Giants and even the Raiders, if you play the game where you don't want to pay the running back, eventually that mid-level quarterback that you're playing with, he will be exposed for what he is as a player. And then we'll have a greater appreciation for what that running back is. Well, Bucky, uh, great stuff. We really appreciate you taking the time this morning. And, yeah, it's fun to talk about the fact that uh, football is here. The season uh, is – it is. It's, it's July, but the season is upon us. So uh, I'm sure we'll catch up with you again throughout the course of the season. But uh, thanks for the time this morning, Bucky. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. That is Bucky Brooks of uh, NFL.com and NFL Network. He also writes for FoxSports.com. And uh, the thing he said about the running backs, and that's a good point, will – GMs start to consider that when you're looking at some key contracts coming up. Uh, we weren't just talking about this season, Brady, but next season, Jonathan Taylor is going to yeah. need a running back. I mean, that one looms as a massive deal. He's playing the final year of his rookie contract. He's only 24. So if you want to talk about the frustration of a, a Saquon Barkley, who's 26, Josh Jacobs, who's 25, and Tony Pollard, who's 26, well, Jonathan Taylor, right in the prime of his career, looking for that first big payday, this is going to be interesting, and that's maybe the, the first big question for the future of this position. Can a true premium running back get what he's worth, or is he going to be undervalued again when he hits the open market? Well, I mean, you've, you've seen it. I mean, Christian McCaffrey got a massive deal. Alvin Kamara got paid a couple years ago, and you know maybe the difference between those guys is they are complete offensive weapons. You know, guys that, you know, Christian McCaffrey could probably be a full-time wide receiver if he wanted to. He's that good at, at catching the ball and running routes. Um, and Kamara has obviously you know, been one of the more dangerous pass catchers out of the backfield. So um, I think it just takes a, a really special guy to get that kind of deal. But by and large, you're just seeing a lot of reluctance. And you know, Jonathan Taylor, who you talked about a couple of minutes ago, like he was a legitimate MVP candidate uh, a couple seasons ago. Um and you know that I haven't heard any, and and who knows they could be working on a deal right now. But he's played three seasons, so he's he's eligible for that massive deal, and it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it will, but um, just think by and large, there's you know it, it's not a new thing that teams are reluctant to give these running backs these big second contracts. But it is really at the forefront right now, just because. It just so happened that three of them got tagged and none of them got long-term deals. Uh, it's funny. We're talking about positional rankings, and it's kind of been the theme of the show today because Jeremy Fowler is going to join us at 945, and he had the uh, the comprehensive 11-part series where they went to executives and scouts and everyone around the league, and you and I were trying to kind of parse the nuance and explain, okay, this one from Fowler perhaps less biased than others because it's a full collection full comprehensive look you do have some people that make their own list and it's just their opinion uh, that's exactly what Bucky Brooks did so you know he is well versed in all things NFL but he did come out with a similar kind of thing where for 11 position groups he ranked the top three combos so yes that is just his opinion we can kind of dig into that and say maybe uh, that's why he thinks so and so or why he didn't rank someone here so the one thing I kind of was curious about with him and I want to know where you think about where the Seahawks receivers would rank because in his receiver combo rankings, just top two, he has the Dolphins first, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, then Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and he threw in Tyler Boyd for the Bengals, and his third best wide receiver combo, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. 
out of those and, you know, looking at Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, I mean, I feel like that's a position group where Seattle can say, look, we might have one of the best wide receiver combos in the entire league. Yeah, Tyler Lockett is just, for whatever reason, and maybe because he's, you know, a smaller guy, an understated guy, um, he he just seems to continually be overlooked, you know, and yet he's getting a thousand yards pretty much every season. He's a magician when it comes to some of the catches he's making. Um, and I mean, he's just such a good football player who routinely, I mean, I think he was in like the receiving, you know, also receiving votes uh, in the top 10. And, and look, there's a lot of really good NFL wide receivers, so it's probably not shocking that he didn't crack the top 10, but you know, you could easily make a case that he is a top 10 guy just because of how skilled he is. Um, you know, I would I would take Metcalf and Lockett over the Chargers duo, duo just because those guys have had quite a bit of you know a few injuries over the years. Mike Williams, especially, um, I think Seattle's is a more you know uh, durable, reliable wide receiver duo. I mean, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, two really explosive guys. I think if you were going top three, you know, one to three, Seahawks have the best. Right now, when you when you add Jackson Smith and Jigba, and I realize he hasn't played uh, an NFL game yet, but just projecting what he looked like in college, um, the number one receiver taken in this year's draft, yeah, I, I think you'd be really hard pressed to find a better one through three uh, wide receiver trio in the NFL. The area that Bucky felt strongly about with the Seahawks was safety. And he lumped in a few. I, I don't really know the exact criteria because he said combo, but then sometimes had three. So for the Seahawks, he listed Diggs, Julian Love, and Jamal Adams. I'm kind of curious to know what Julian Love might bring to this team because in hearing how he plays and when he came and spoke at either OTAs or minicamp, they all kind of blend together now, you know, because no pads yeah. are on. But when Julian Love spoke for the first time, he said he's fine playing down in the box and moving all over the field. And at first it seemed like, okay, is this just a Jamal Adams redundancy? Like if Jamal Adams isn't back on the field, if he can't perform, but how do you see Julian Love's role in the Seahawks this year? Yeah, I think he is an immediate insurance policy for Jamal Adams, and and but he's, he's a lot more than that because when Adams is back, you're still going to see Julian Love play quite a bit, and it goes back to the idea of Adams playing you know, in nickel situations uh, where he's playing more of a linebacker role next to whoever it is, Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks when he gets back, uh, Devin Bush. Um, but when they go to nickel, you are going to see Adams, I think, move. In, in most cases, if not all of them, you're going to see him move to linebacker and you're going to see them bring in uh, Julian Love and maybe even a, another safety. Remember, when Adams, that play where Adams got hurt uh, in Denver or versus Denver last season, he was playing linebacker and I think there was three safeties on the field behind him. So they're they're going to have all sorts of you know flexibility and, and multiple safety packages, um, but in the short term, at least when Adam, while Adam's situation, his availability is still up in the air, you're going to see him as the starter uh, alongside Quandre Diggs, and it really he's he's like a short term insurance policy for Adams, and I think a, a long term replacement option because if Adams doesn't have a bounce back season, then I think he's in in a lot of danger of being released. He will have two years and thirty four million dollars left on his contract. Um, I I don't think the Julian Love <clears throat> signing this year. Uh, was any sign that the Seahawks were thinking of moving on from Adams this year. The, the dead money associated with doing it now, this offseason, would just be too great, and it, it just makes too much sense to give it at least one more year 
to see if you can get him back to that 2020 form uh, with the plan for him to play more linebacker. But look, if it doesn't happen this season, if he can't stay healthy, then I think that becomes a, a very real possibility that they move on from him in lieu of paying him the, what, $34 million that he would be owed over the final two seasons of his contract. There'd still be quite a bit of dead money. I think it's something like $14 million and change, but uh, that's a lot, but it's a lot more palatable than what it would have been this offseason had they moved on. With the gluts and the depth of cornerbacks and safeties, is this where the Seahawks can get away with not much depth at linebacker? Because you said, you know, Jamal Adams can come down there and play linebacker, and with Devin Witherspoon maybe on the field as a nickel, are you going to see more more of these looks instead of okay we're going to have the traditional three inside linebackers there yeah yeah and and you know they're in a three four now and so you're only going to have in any the, the most you're going to have on the field is two, two inside yeah. guys and you know w- with jamal adams basically being that second inside guy in passing situations so yeah i mean i was doing a a 53 man roster projection earlier and it's like the the depth at inside linebacker doesn't look all that deep uh, until you realize that Adams is basically going to be an inside linebacker uh, for a lot of the time and they are going to get Jordan Brooks back I I would I am not reporting this I'm not stating this as a fact but I would uh, anticipate that he is a really strong candidate to begin the season on the physically unable to perform list just because of the timing of that ACL injury that was January 1st that's that would be a very quick recovery uh, so starting on PUP would be missing the first four games. I know Pete Carroll is optimistic, but he's always going to be optimistic. Yeah. And yeah, the timing of that, that would be an incredibly quick reto- recovery time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like that would be a, a fatal flaw for the defense because of the depth and what you mentioned. Hey, you can play these guys. Uh, you can go nickel. You can play linebackers or you can play safeties as linebackers. So uh, it seems like they can overcome that, even though on face value, it's like, well, wait. In week one, who is behind Bobby Wagner and Devin Bush at linebacker? But, you know, they don't have to be on the field that whole time. So it'll be interesting to see all those formations. And we'll get to see it starting uh, Wednesday. So a week from tomorrow, training camp begins for the Seahawks. Uh, plenty more NFL talk coming up. This hour is driven by Wayscar Ford. We are about to uh, 